The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey, (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Dynamic Healing with two experts in chronic pain, David Hanscom and Les Aria. This podcast will show you how to unlock your body's ability to heal. Just breathe and learn how to rewire your brain and break free from chronic pain. Welcome to Dynamic Healing Podcast. I'm Les Arya. And I'm David Hanscom. And today we're going to continue on with our theme of disruptive, obsessive, disturbing thought patterns, whatever you want to call them. And Les and I were talking quite a bit before this podcast is being recorded. And these disruptive thought patterns are pretty darn common. People don't want to talk about it, but I think there's a high percent of people are frustrated with these unpleasant, repetitive thoughts. So this is so common that there's a research term for them called URTs, unpleasant, repetitive thoughts. And there's three aspects of dealing with this perverse trickery of the human consciousness, and it is a trick of the human subconsciousness. In other words, we have consciousness, which is a mismatch to our unconscious survival brain, and the three parts of it are, number one, understanding that it's a unconscious factor that you have no control over, it's there. And then you have to separate from these thoughts and you have to also turn down the heat. So we're gonna talk about today sort of the principles behind the solution to this, what the problem is. And in a future podcast, we'll discuss the actual ways to accomplish this. So let's... Well, that's uh, David, it's uh, it's a hot topic and, you know, we probably could do this a whole month or even a year with this uh, URTs, unpleasant, repetitive thoughts. And uh, let's kind of kick us off with a quote. How about this? Uh, David, hopefully the audience uh, and you will like this. Uh, here we go. Yes, I am a prisoner of sorts, but my prison isn't the house. It's my own thoughts that lock me up. V.C. Andrews. So the quote itself says that, you know, it, this is, it's David, I like David's blog, if you haven't checked it out, uh, The Curse of Consciousness. And when he first wrote that, I thought, wow, that's a kind of a heavy uh, statement. And as you read his blog on The Curse of Consciousness, he really kind of talks about this and he really unpackages the, um, the things that really torment us. It's very much, we're trying to escape from ourselves, our thoughts, the sensations inside of us. And one of the things I wanted to kick us off to, David, and audience is this to remind the audience, unpleasant thoughts are really sensory input that you cannot really escape. David talks a lot about this, and 
I like his angle on this, and we'll hear a little bit more from David, because uh, David, I'm going to bug you a little bit more about the stuff. So we can get a, a nice perspective, and we can leave here really understanding, and what is it, and what are some things we can even do about it? The, un the unpleasant repetitive thoughts are basically, they, they set up the threat physiology, and they're by creates this anxiety inside of us. And anxiety, as David mentioned before, and I've mentioned this, is that's a psychological concept. So when your threat physiology is high, it creates lots of anxiety and there's unwanted thoughts that show up, emotions, sensations in our body. That's a physiological state. And it's important for us to recognize that. So when stuff shows up inside of us, it's sensory input. David? I think, I think you just misstated something, Liz. So oh. anxiety is a physiological state, not correct. psychological. Correct, correct, yep. So when my cat is threatened by a dog, or another cat's even worse, by the way, she hates other cats. I have a very unsocial cat. <laughs> so she goes crazy. Her fur goes up, she starts screaming at the top of her lungs. Her whole body's on fire. Okay, so humans do the same thing, but my cat doesn't have a word for it. It's just a threat physiology and it's fight or flight. And humans have the same responses to threats. And the word we use is anxiety, but it's just a word that describes a physiological state. So you have a fired up response, which includes the immune system, which actually inflames your brain. And so now you have a sensitized brain. It's hyper alert. It's hyper vigilant. That's what it's supposed to do. That's how we evolved. So I think that one, there's a friend of ours, Bruce Lipton, who just says this so brilliantly, is that, okay, so thoughts are sensory input. And the physiology is what we feel. The emotions are what we feel. But as far as the sensation of anxiety and anger, this is they're hardwired, automatic survival reactions. They're part of the unconscious brain. You have no say. You have no say over these things. And what yeah. you've said multiple times, okay, you have this reaction where you feel unpleasant. You're supposed to feel unpleasant. It's a survival sensation. And your point is what? So it's the survival sensations, again, so going back to that, and thanks for the correction, just in case I said that incorrectly, that your physiological states, right? So your threat physiology creates your psychological states, right? and that's anxiety is one of them. And also, David and I mentioned this, and, and David, it's bi-directional, so you've heard us say this over and over again in different podcasts, your threat physiology creates your uh, psychological states. So right. anxiety, your depression, all of that, your sadness, and that in of itself, we can sit here and think about things and then fuel the, our physiology. So it goes the other way. Your psychological states, you thinking about things and or even trying to avoid things can actually, and that's a big thing, David, avoidance, can actually activate that. So right. it's kind of a, this is why David calls it sort of a curse. You know, uh, you try to run and when you try to run, it's almost like you dial up the heat. And uh, I think that's really important to take a look at. And, and David, you mentioned something, David, you're gonna find this humorous, but I am blown away by many of my patients that teach a couple of different groups. And I have patients arguing with me openly that uh, emotions or thoughts have, how does that even influence my physical pain? That has nothing to do with it. And I try not to argue with people. And I really hope they actually hear this uh, podcast today is that it's not about, you know, who's right or who's wrong. This is just the reality is what it is. And what I mean by that is uh, David talked about how when your threat physiology goes up, um, it's a sensory input, 
you, you tend to actually hear these thoughts. So threat physiology goes up, your brain senses danger, you will hear repetitive thoughts, so unpleasant thoughts you feel. Now, when you try to fight that, my um, many of our patients, David, um, and the ones in my group will find it hard to believe that how can a thought create inflammation in the body? And my simple explanation is this, that when you have unpleasant thoughts, doesn't matter whether you know it, know, you recognize it or not, it actually sensitizes your nerves. Threat physiology, which is the brain senses danger, doesn't matter whether you, you know why it showed up or why how it showed up, it showed up. And I want everyone to know is it's it's kind of sensitizes every aspect of us, including our nerves, which and then it also creates the muscle tension. So again, threat physiology. So David, um, back to you here to kind of highlight a little bit more of this. Well, yeah, I mean, what happens is that when you're in fight or flight, when you're when you're upset for any reason, when you just got to fight with your spouse or your boss or finances come at you, when you're under threat, your whole body reacts. I mean, you're laying in bed with your heart pounding. Why is your heart pounding? It doesn't yeah. just pound. I mean, it's the adrenaline and cortisol firing things up. But I have forgotten, and I'm embarrassed to admit this, that I've forgotten that part of the threat response is your immune system. It's yeah. a, your immune system is a big deal because it, it starts attacking cells in your body. But we know that the speed of nerve conduction is doubled when you're under fight or flight. We also know your brain itself is throwing up the glial cells or the supporting structures of the brain are throwing off inflammatory proteins called cytokines. So your brain is sensitized, is hypervigilant, is sensing things more quickly and more intensely. So your peripheral nerve conductions increase, your brain is sensitized, and you do feel more physical pain. But what's even worse is that these cytokines actually go to the gut and the bladder and the bowel. So you've changed the nerve supply to the gut, bladder, and bowel. Your inflammatory markers are elevated in the gut, bladder, and bowel. So it's not just pain. As you know, I had 17 different physical and mental symptoms at the same time when I was in constant threat. And anxiety, depression, OCD was part of it. I had stomach issues, back pain, neck pain, migraine, headaches, skin rashes. I mean, skin rashes would pop up in the back of my wrist or the back of my knees. And I was told I'd quote urticaria. Well, guess what? When I calmed my nervous system down again by accident and retrospect, everything disappeared. I don't have disruptive thought patterns. I don't have skin rashes. I don't have migraine headaches. My ears don't ring. And people say, well, that's crazy. Well, guess what? I had ringing in my ears for 25 solid years. It wasn't just a passing fancy. I thought I was screwed the rest of my life. I had no expectation that the ringing in my ears would stop. But I want to get back on topic here about the, just the disruptive thought patterns. So I, I make a sort of a conservative quote that they're probably more common than people think. But see, I think they're almost universal. And I have no data to say anything more than that. But nobody wants to talk about these things because these thoughts are really disruptive, disturbing, despicable, disgusting thoughts. And it's the moral intention people have a problem with, like we've mentioned in past podcasts, because people that don't care, don't, they don't filter as much. They don't give them much attention. So it's when you give meaning to a thought. In other words, you, you look at that in chair or a table and somehow you give it meaning compared to your prior school experience or prior life experience, humans give meaning to every object. And when we start paying attention to these thought patterns, they become stronger and stronger. So we're gonna talk about the aspects of the problem, which I think are two of them. 
And the analogy I like to use is that of a popcorn machine. And Les, do you want to talk about that? I've talked about it enough. I'm just curious how you would present <laughs> that analogy of the popcorn machine. Uh, sorry, I'm a little hungry now. At the moment, you mentioned popcorn. So let me bring popcorn my for popcorn for breakfast, for God's sake. <laughs> hey, don't don't judge. Um, <laughs> one of the things. Sorry, <laughs> you just did. Yes, I know. So now that's going to play in my head as an unwanted thought. Um, so here's this. Um, I, I love I love David's analogy on uh, actually it's a, it's a it's a metaphor really is what it is. The popcorn machine um, is, is really. The heat is the threat physiology when the brain senses danger. Think about it. Um, the popcorn, when the heat is dialed up on the pan, let's just say you've got popcorn on a, on a, on a pan. Um, and when the, when the heat gets turned up, that's like your brain sensing danger. It doesn't matter why. It's a survival mechanism. And so when the brain senses danger, it turns up the heat. And when the popcorn... Um, that's there it tends to pop. So the higher the heat, the greater the threat physiology, the more of these unwanted thoughts. The popcorn represents these disturbing thoughts or these repetitive um, thoughts. And so what David has mentioned to me, and, and again, I'll pass this off to him to kind of add to this, is because if you think about it, if we can find ways to dial down that threat physiology, it is really amazing what happens to the popcorn. Uh, I've kind of teased and bugged David about it, and he's given me different responses, and maybe we'll get a few from him today, is I asked him, like, how did you actually do it? Because he makes it sound kind of hunky-dory and easy, but actually it's not. It's difficult. However, David has actually done a few things. He's done a few things such as be fully aware when something difficult shows up that he's not going to fight it. And I think that's a really important thing, David. And again, uh, I don't want the audience to believe that this is so easy to do and we're dismissive. We're not trying to do that. We want you to know that the popcorn machine is a great way for you to recognize that what is creating this unwanted repetitive thoughts, and it's that threat physiology. David? Well, I mean, I don't, yes, you know, I don't like psychological labels, but the bottom line is I had extreme severe OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, manifested by multiple disruptive intrusive thoughts. And for me, they became so bad that they became visual almost. There's almost hallucinations. And so it was really bad for about seven years. And that's where I was suicidal and actually came very close to actually pulling that one off. And if you told me to live the rest of my life like that, I'd go, fine, I'm out of here. But I even had young kids under 10 years old saying, look, I have these thoughts, they're scary, and I just can't do this anymore, which I think is incredibly sad. So the prognosis, unless I haven't looked at the literature up lately, but I know I looked at the literature a while back that the prognosis for OCD is not very good. People use medications, they calm down, they do some behavioral techniques, but this isn't behavioral, it's neurological. And I know that sounds a little bit like I'm splitting hairs, but I started the writing exercises which separates you from the thoughts. And in the next podcast, we're gonna talk about the expressive writing. But what you wanna to do to solve OCD is divert the thoughts a different direction. You can't control them, but you can divert them. So the popcorn never hits the popper. And then I didn't know what I was doing. I processed my anger very, very poorly years ago, but I did it. And I didn't even know I was angry. I had to connect to this victim role. And we're going to talk about that in some detail also going forward. But the two aspects of solving these obsessive, disturbing, disruptive thought patterns is number one, diverting the thoughts. And second of all, 
turning down the heat. And so if you, you can divert most of the thoughts, but they hit the popper, they're, they're still gonna pop. So what was interesting to me is the number of disruptive thoughts calmed down and was at peace more of the time. Then the ones that got through are even more aggravating in a way. I'm going, yeah. wait a second. <laughs> yeah. So 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 I, I just don't have um, I just don't have them anymore, honestly. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. David, um, let me ask you this is uh, I want to make sure the audience hears this and then we can get your opinion on this. When when I heard diverting, I heard avoiding. Um, so are we when, when you say diverting, are you just sort of relating to them differently or tell us more about that? Well, the people that wrote this one article called The Seed of Our Undoing, the top psychologists in the world on these URTs, point out you can't control your thoughts. But this exercise called expressive writing is that you separate from them. Ah, so basically, that, so that's, I like that because divergent is a way of basically kind of separating. So that, that makes more sense. And I think that's the key point right here is we're trying to separate, not um, ignore, um, argue, avoid, escape. We're not trying to do any of that. So diverting no. sounds like to get separation uh, is a great way. And so when you say separation, we're doing that, and folks, uh, David has mentioned this, and I've mentioned this too, is that when, why do we want to get separation? Think about this, is think of your, uh, I've used this way of expressing it, when we're drunk in our thoughts or drunk in, in this unwanted thoughts repetitively, when, we're, when we fight it, it's like we get more drunk. And so to sober up, so to speak, as David says, we sort of use expressive writing to get some separation. And that's what it is. It's, it's about being able to recognize there's something uh, dominating me. How can I get some separation? Because we tend to sometimes believe what shows up in our heads. And so David and I mentioned this before in an earlier podcast, and I'll mention it again now, is this. You don't have to believe the thoughts that show up. We've been trained to believe that what shows up is actually the truth, a rule, uh, an order and uh, a must, it's not. You get to decide because it's kind of like a child telling you what to do. To be able to get some separation from your thoughts, and David has mentioned this several times in this podcast, expressive writing is really key. And David um, has a, I'm gonna um, 
brag about him a little bit. David doesn't brag enough a little bit about some of his stuff that he um, shares with us. Or maybe, maybe you do brag. I don't know, David, but teasing you a little bit here. David has a great handout on expressive writing. And I've shared it with several of my patients. David, just let you know, I've shared it with several of my groups. They like it. Um, and it's kind of nicely written because it walks you through step by step on how you did it. And uh, it's a great way of uh, helping people get some separation from these really punishing thoughts. Well, I'd like to talk a little bit about my experience because I was in, um, okay, so my first book is say, look, thoughts are real because they create, they create chemical reactions in your body, but they're not reality. So here's a kicker that which I've learned pretty dramatically over the last five years is that thoughts are your version of reality. You know, with the predictive model of coding and Lisa Feldman Barrett's work, what she's pointed out with the neuroscience of consciousness is that you're, you're programmed by your life, you have all these thoughts and concepts, and that becomes your filter for how you interpret your life. So what happens is these thoughts and concepts become embedded in your brain, the same way as a car or house or chair or table. And that's where people actually create some really bad behaviors based on concepts and idealism and whatever it is. So what happens is they actually, so thoughts and concepts are your version of reality. They are reality. And unfortunately, a lot of the programming is faulty. It's not very functional. We become experts at dysfunctional coping skills, and that's a huge problem. So what happens when you're reacting, you're in the midbrain. The blood supply to your thinking brain is actually compromised compared to your midbrain. And if a human, I'm going to sound dramatic here, <laughs> but if the human race is going to survive and thrive, we've got to get the heck out of our midbrain. We've got to get back into our thinking brain. We, while this reactive survival behavior that's really unpleasant, we do things that we know better. We're not very good examples to our kids, the way a lot of adults act, especially right now in the big global picture of things, is that humans have to behave better, but until they can get back into the neocortex or thinking centers of their brain, they're not going to get better. So I spent 13 years, once or twice a week with a psychologist analyzing the heck out of my background, all these thought patterns, try to fix them, try to rearrange them. But what I didn't realize at the time was inadvertently paying more attention to them. So again, when I started the expressive writing, within a few weeks, things started to change. What I didn't realize back then is it, it was simply a separation exercise. And I don't like the word accept the thoughts because they're unpleasant. They're always going to be unpleasant. As you know, I don't like that word acceptance very well. So I like the word more just to be, to yeah. be with these things. I don't have to like them. You know, I mean, maybe I'm not making myself that clear, but yep. there's a big difference between acceptance and just being. Yeah. And, and David, I think, um, and that's fine. Absolutely. That's a very common um, statement I hear from many of my patients and, uh, and including myself when I first started doing this, replace acceptance with a willingness to experience. Yeah. I, I that's a good, I, I agree with that. But I tried all these behavioral things like you have these thoughts come in your brain, you snap this band on your wrist, or I tried medications. I tried all sorts of things to try to solve these thoughts. And eventually what happened is I did the, I did really, I just expressive writing started the process within two weeks. <clears throat> I started the expressive writing and I didn't know, I thought it was the <clears throat> book I was reading, Feeling Good by Dr. Burns, but it turns out the book is a good book. But it was the writing exercises, again, to provide the separation from the thoughts. And we'll talk about this in more detail in the next podcast. But the reason why you tear these thoughts up is to not analyze these things. Because yeah. all these crazy thoughts come into place. 
we identify with them, we want to analyze them and fix them. And it's not who we are. They're just they're just thoughts. Yeah, and David, I think, um, like I said, I definitely want to mention this so we don't um, forget what you just mentioned there is just everything you were saying about how we try to get some separation and all of that and the thoughts are real, but that they're, they're not a reality. I like that. I like that. That's a Davidism right there. Well, no, but, but, but unless they are our reality, that's what I say, they are our reality. Yes, yes, yes. And so this is my point. My uh, unless we change it, right? We can change yeah, yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the thoughts are real, your emotions are real, the physical sensations in your body are real. And they become a reality because of our perception, the meaning we assign to it. And so what I'm trying to say here is that we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. Right, exactly. It's an old, old saying. Is that a lessism or is that? No, that's that's from the Talmud. Uh, it's, it's, it's centuries old. Um, and so I just want to I definitely need to, to make sure the credit goes to the right people. I just want us to mention that one, one more time. We don't see things as they are. We see things as we are, which means that whatever you believe, buy into, we are tormented sometimes by these thoughts. And when you can recognize that this is an unpleasant moment um, and recognizing it as that and being aware of it and the writing exercises, just no matter what comes, and David, if you can just kind of briefly mention about it, and yes, we'll have different podcasts on this exclusively. And uh, hopefully you'll put the link, David, so the um, viewers can actually get a link to your um, uh, expressive writing step by step. Can you tell us a little bit about um, uh, the expressive writing? Would, just briefly, would they do it for one minute, 10 minutes, 60 minutes? What, what, what would you do? Well, I mean, what's happening, we don't think it, there's not really a formula. Dr. James Pennybaker was the original researcher of this back in the early 1980s on it. We asked him one day, you know, why do you think this expressive writing works? He goes, I don't know. And so the general flavor, though, is you're giving up the need for mental control, which is the essence of, of, of the essence of obsessive thought patterns is the need for mental control. So he says, somehow, when you write these things down, you give up that need for mental control. It almost doesn't matter how you do it. It can be free writing or you just have written down your thoughts. You tear them up. The, the, the key issue is you want to write with absolute freedom because it's the craziest thoughts that actually torture you the most. And those are the ones that we suppress the most. So two things, you write them down and then you tear them up because you want to write, want to write with absolute freedom. And the research does show that the more intense the thoughts you can get on paper, the better. And you want to write about how you feel. We don't have to. Any writing is better than no writing. But you'll eventually find out it's like brushing your teeth. And we'll talk about more in this more detail, but I want to just go back and summarize our day-to-day -day because we're going to talk about expressive writing on the next podcast in a lot of detail, and I will put the link up. So here's the deal. So again, you, you're going to divert the thoughts and you're going to turn down the heat. But I want to talk about the heat for a second. So there's a sequence of anger of a situation that you're a victim of. You, I'm sorry, situation that you blame, you're a victim, then you're angry. So with the self-critical voice, as you call it, or perfectionism, and most of us are programmed with the self-critical voice that you're never good enough, never good enough, never good enough. So you're always a victim of less than perfect or you're less than perfect. You blame the situation or yourself of being less than perfect. Then you're always a victim of less than perfect and you're always frustrated. David Burns made a comment in several of his books that changed my life. 
He says the difference between your concept of perfection and who you are right now is your degree of unhappiness or frustration. So I go, huh, that's interesting because I thought perfectionism was a virtue. So you're trapped. You're always agitated because you're less than perfect. And you call it the self-critical voice, which I think is really appropriate. We're really programmed with this. So recognizing the role of the self-critical voice and perfectionism is really critical. So that's one thing that's a big, big deal. The second thing, though, which I think also is interesting, is that when you're trapped by anything, circumstances, finances, pain, or whatever it is, you do your, your nervous system fires up. Well, when I talked to psychiatrists for years, is and, and again, I'm not against psychiatry at all, but it depends how it's administered. So I talk about these obsessive thought patterns, and he made this, he made these comments like, well, you sound like you're trapped by your thoughts. Like that was crazy. Well, guess what? I was trapped by these thoughts. Yeah. They did activate my nervous system. They did activate activate my threat physiology. So like you said before, it's bi-directional. Is that you have this fired up nervous system. It's hot as can be. These thoughts fired up, but the nervous system also fires up the thoughts. So he flat out was wrong. And I'm telling you, the harder I try to fix these things, it became extremely worse to be unbearable. You know, and, and that's exactly why, um, David, and I really, really speak to this as trying to fix something. And as David's mentioned also, control is the problem. And from the acceptance and commitment therapy stance or perspective is that when, when we are inflexible, which means we just try to do different things like use distraction, opting out, thinking strategies, like trying to replace and challenge the thoughts, um, and sometimes we'll use substances like food or electronics or alcohol to kind of to use these different strategies to kind of avoid, you know, feeling, hearing, experiencing these, un, these unhelpful thoughts. In acceptance commitment therapy, uh, and we'll come to a wrap here, just to kind of finalize this a little bit from a different angle, is acceptance commitment therapy promotes psychological flexibility. And what is that? And that's it can be summarized into sort of three steps. It's to fully be present in the moment, like right here, right now, this is a suffering moment. It's a very difficult moment. Step two is to basically be able to open up to whatever thoughts or feelings that come up with sensations in body without trying to fight them. And then the third thing is- I dare to say one thing here, is that all these are learned skills. They are learned skills. Podcast, go, okay, I get it, makes sense. I turn yeah. on the heat, I divert the thoughts, yeah. but it takes practice. It does take practice and, it, and whatever we practice, we become better at, right? So to get right. better avoiding this, you'll get better at suffering. If you practice being present in the moment, opening up whatever shows up without trying to fight them, absolutely. And that was step two. And I agree with you, David, these are all skills. And the third thing is also a skill, just to kind of piggyback on David's comment, is doing what matters to you the most, stepping towards being the kind of person you would like to be in difficult moments. Now, with that said, I just want to kind of simply say this is acceptance and commitment therapy. Like I said, find a, a therapist that's local to you or with your health insurance or, or pick up a book on acceptance and commitment therapy. And one of the books I've recommended over and over again is basically The Reality Slap by Russ Harris. What's it called? The Reality Slap. Slap. S-L-A-P. Yeah, I know. It's a beautiful title. It's a, <laughs> okay. because it tends to kind of wake you up in that sense. Um, uh, so it's sort of, when I first heard that, I'm like, that's a violent thought. 
But when you get into it, he explains why he named it that. And as I sort of kick this back over to David, uh, acceptance and commitment therapy, the reason I really like it, it helps you, one, make room for your unpleasant thoughts and emotions and even sensations. And ACT also helps you choose truly what matters to you. And then to step towards being that person you want to be and living the life that you want to live. Again, as David said, this takes skills. And hopefully you can recognize this can be best summarized this. When you're more flexible with what shows up and keep doing what moves you towards, what makes you happy, it does take skill. And sometimes you do need some additional help from not just a book or a podcast, but to actually work with someone who knows this thing called ACT. And it's not, and I do, David, I think you know this and the audience may not is ACT is not an end-all, be-all. It is one of the tools, a skill set, a practice that can help you. There are many other different ways to also deal with these unpleasant, repetitive thoughts. Right. And also, just want to go back one second to what you said earlier. I do want to honor people whose trauma is so severe that you don't have the mental, you don't have really the emotional capacity to actually face these thoughts. You just don't. You don't have the skill set. And the trauma stories, I mean, my trauma was bad, but not nearly as bad as a lot of the stories that we hear. So again, there's a, with the dynamic hearing model, you have your, your input or your, or your stresses, you have your nervous system, and then you have your physiology or the output. So what we're doing with this process, we're dealing with all three issues. Um, the anger part of it is the input. The state of the nervous system, you know, if you have a traumatic past, it takes a skilled trauma therapist not to fix it, but actually rebuild it. So that's what we use the word, learn skills, pendulation, or you just tolerate what you can tolerate. And I'm gonna finish this off with two things. You have said multiple times to be kind, starting with yourself, because <clears throat> you see the world as you see yourself. So being kind to yourself is also a learned, nurtured skill. And then the other thing we talked about is that you really heal by learning how to process the adversity and process the stresses, but you want to move into the life that you want. That's where the healing occurs. Yeah. And I'll finish up with my one Davidism is to have a good life. You have to live a good life. Beautiful. You have to practice. And so again, the whole process is you learn to live, live life with more expertise and become more competent at it. You spend less time in fight or flight your brain calms down and you start to thrive. So the whole issue with these obsessive thought patterns isn't trying to fix them or solve them or come up with some magical formula. <clears throat> it's actually learn how to empirically process them. Just becomes a learned repetitive skill, becomes automatic. And then the healing occurs from actually moving into the life that you want. Yeah. And uh, again, also learn skill set. So Dr. Arya, thank you for a nice session. <clears throat> I learned a few things just verbalizing and you know, I always learn, learn a lot from you with your um, ACT perspective. I think it's really excellent. And uh, so thank you. Yeah, and thank you, Dr. Hanscom. And you're, you've made me extremely hungry. Um, popcorn, anyone? <laughs> Do you want some milk on your popcorn for breakfast? <laughs> yeah, I'll just throw it into the coffee, David. <laughs> Folks, thank you very much. Have a great day. All right. David and Les would love to hear from you about today's podcast and any ideas for future topics. You can email them at david-les at dynamichealingpodcast.com. That's david-les at dynamichealingpodcast.com. Do you ever feel that calling that you should be doing more with your life? 
If you're unhappy with the status quo, I can help. My name is Elias Patris, and I'm an intuitive motivator, psychic medium, and motivational speaker. I know that feeling, and on my podcast, Your Inner Voice, I can help you answer that call to step into your life's purpose. I will show you how to recognize and listen to the signs and signals that are all around us and help you tap into your intuition. Join me for the show here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect, educate, and grow on this journey together.